Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Understand the role of a deacon. Uh, And I say that uh, biblically. Like when I read the Bible, I'm like, what do they do? And that's not a backhanded... uh, statement or anything that's just me being honest and transparent with you because I didn't understand uh, what they did the first church that I served in only had one deacon okay one and you've heard me tell this story before but we'd have a meeting and he'd make a motion I'd second and we were done you know Uh, that's the way it was and so uh when it became time years ago for me to start looking at this I really wanted to know and it made me look at how much um, do how much do we base our understanding of this role on scripture and how much on tradition. Well, we're going to talk about the role of a deacon tonight. Um, I love this story that someone shared. Uh, said uh, all morning, an instructor had had been explaining leadership to a class of police recruits, and so calling a man to the front of the class, the instructor handed him a piece of paper. And on it was written these words. It said, you are in charge. Get everyone out of the room without causing a panic. And uh, the the first guy that was recruited to come up to the class received the the message on the piece of paper. He looked at it, and he was at a loss for words. He finally just went and sat down. The second man that was summoned to try, he looked at it and read it, and he said, all right, everybody outside, let's go. Nobody moved. Third guy that was called up to the class, he glanced at the instructions. He smiled and said, all right, men, let's break for lunch. And everybody left, right? (laughs) Oh, Today we're going to look at leadership in the church. And just like I mentioned a while ago, sharing, and then also with this story, many people have preconceptions or misconceptions about leadership in the church. Uh, For example... Do you know how many times the word deacon is in the Bible? Very few. I'll give you a hint. One hand. And there's the number, five. Once in first, uh, once in uh, Philippians 1 and four times in 1 Timothy 3. And we'll look at those texts in a little bit. Um, but uh, there's only two passages in the entire Bible where deacons are specifically mentioned by name, and that's Philippians 1, 1 Timothy 3. Um, and Paul brings these up. He's writing to church at Philippi. He's writing to Timothy, a young man in the ministry. And in both of those passages, Paul does not mention or explain the origin of deacons nor their duties. Now, I say this because I want us to look at Scripture And also, I hope that I pique your curiosity because um, I do believe that God's Word is sufficient. It gives us everything we need to know for life and godliness. Uh, But I just want you to realize that about the text. Um, It's likely that his readers already knew. But the question is, where do we, as Christians today in 2022, where do we find an explanation Well, I'll give you a hint. We have to go to Scripture. We have to look at church history. And so tonight, I'm going to answer this question. What is the role of a deacon? That's all I'm going to talk about. 
So look, if you will, in Philippians 1, we're going to look at these two texts that mention deacons by name. In Philippians 1, verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. That's it. That's his opening greeting to the church, including the overseers and the deacons. And then he launches into his letter. Look at the second passage that mentions deacons. It's found in 1 Timothy 3. What I want to do is I just want to read um, both uh, passages here about overseers and deacons. Since uh, Philippians mentioned overseers and deacons, let's just read Philippians 1 or Philippians 3 verses 1 through 13. So the first seven verses are about overseers. Look at what it says. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert, or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. So he leads off in these first seven verses talking about an overseer, which he mentioned in Philippians 1. And then he also mentioned Philippians 1, deacons, and that begins in verse 8. Deacons, likewise should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. For those who have served well as deacons, acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, so let's answer this question. What is the role of a deacon? Well, I've got two main points uh, for you tonight instead of three in a poem. But uh, the first point is this. Let's look, at, let's look at our biggest clue from Scripture to answer the question, what is the role of a deacon? So point one, let's look at our biggest clue from Scripture. We've just looked at it. Philippians 1.1 mentions the uh, congregation, the church, if you will, there at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Okay, Two offices in the church mentioned together side by side, overseers and deacons. And then when you turn to 1 Timothy 3, it's about selecting overseers and deacons. What I will say is based on the occurrence of deacons in the New Testament, they are always associated with overseers, and yet they're distinct from them. So if you want to understand um, what a New, a New Testament deacon is, what they do, you have to understand what overseers of the church do. 
it's kind of like looking at a coin. You've got to look at both sides and realize that they go together. And that's what this is. Now, give me just a couple minutes to kind of review what we've talked about the past six weeks. I can do it in a couple minutes. And then we'll flip that coin over and look at the deacon side tonight. Now, the position of an overseer is referred to by three terms. There's episkopos, which is overseer or bishop. That's what's used there in Philippians and 1 Timothy 3. We also know that presbyterios, which is elder, is also used in the New Testament. And poimen, which means shepherd or pastor, is also used. Uh, those three terms refer to the same office. Overseer, bishop, elder, shepherd, pastor, same thing. Same thing. Let me show you why that's true. Uh, Paul and Peter both used those terms interchangeably. In Acts chapter 20, look at verse 17. Uh, it says, Now from Miletus, he, referring to Paul, sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. And this is a long passage, so I'm just going to highlight the verses I want you to catch. One's verse 17, Paul is summoning the elders from the church at Ephesus. So there's the word elder. Then skip on down to verse 28. He says to these men, the elders of the church, he says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers, okay, elder, overseer, to shepherd the church of God. That word shepherd, another, another time, sometimes it's translated pastor, uh, which he purchased with his own blood. So there is Paul talking to the elders of the church who are overseers that shepherd God's church. So elder, overseer, shepherd, pastor, they're all interchangeably. Okay, They're all referring to the same office, same group of men. That's how Paul used it. Let's look at how Peter used it. If you turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, you're going to see the exact same pattern. In 1 Peter 5, look at the first two verses. Peter is writing and he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So you know he's talking to elders. I exhort, you, uh, exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you. Shepherd. Not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly. So there you go. You've got the elders, shepherd God's flock, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly. You've got those three terms used interchangeably, referring to the same office, same group of men. So Peter used it that way. Paul used it that way. I like the way um, Adrian Rogers said it. He says, the pastor as elder has maturity that exceeds the flock. They're called to be an example. The pastor as shepherd has a ministry that feeds the flock. Okay, you know, Preach the word, feed the sheep, feed the lambs. And the pastor as overseer has management that leads the flock. And so all of that is absolutely true. Now, that's your quick review of what we've looked at for the past six weeks. Now let's look at the second office of Scripture called deacons. And remember that the key to understanding the role of a deacon is to understand 
the role of an overseer and how they complement one another. They both are offices in the New Testament church, but they're different. They're not the same. For instance, uh, an elder, overseer, pastor must be able to teach. That's what Scripture says, 1 Timothy 3. However, when you look at the biblical requirements for a deacon, they're not required to teach. They're not expected to teach. doesn't mean that a deacon shouldn't teach. If they do teach, that's just a bonus, you know. But it's not a scriptural, biblical requirement to be a deacon. The word translated deacon is diakonos in Greek. It's one of those words that is in our Bibles that's really a transliteration instead of a translation. Now let me explain that. Another example of what I'm trying to say, baptism. The word baptize and baptism that's in your, in your Bible, in your New Testament, that literal word in the Greek is baptizo, and it literally means to dip. And so instead of saying, you know, um, go and make disciples of all nations, dipping them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Sounds weird, don't it? They, they, way back in the day when they were translating it, they, they, they didn't know how to articulate that into the English language. There were certain terms that they just didn't know how to translate into the English language hundreds of years ago. And you know what they did? When they couldn't agree on how to translate it into the uh, vernacular for the English language, they transliterated it. What does transliterate mean? Uh, I wish I had a whiteboard here. I would write out the word. You look at the first letter. What would that letter be in our alphabet? Okay, the second letter. Okay, the third. All right, the fourth. And literally just transcribe their letters of the alphabet to what it would be in our alphabet. And you come up with diakonos, deacon. Baptizo, baptize. It's a transliteration but it's not a translation of this means that. So the literal meaning of the word diakonos that we say deacon, it literally means servant. That's what it literally means. Again, that would sound weird in our vernacular, wouldn't it? Well, you have pastors and then you have servants. And then somebody would say, aren't we all supposed to be servants? Yep. Well, then... Why are they so special? Because they're servants. Are they servants with a capital S and we're servants with a little s? Like, you know, you'd have all this confusion, right? And so they looked at it and they called these servants are going to be called deacons, diakonos. So chalk that up to now you know, the more you know. Throughout the New Testament, the narrow use of this term diakonos as a noun or a verb refers to practical service to those who are suffering or in need. And since deacons have to meet certain biblical requirements to serve and they have to be examined and approved or tested first, it shows that they have a position of trust. Okay, They have a position of trust. Uh, not necessarily of, of authority, but of trust. Deacons are not required to teach. That's an overseer. Uh, deacons do not uh, govern or oversee the church. That's an overseer. Okay, Deacons are servants overseers are leaders. There's a difference. You need both, okay? Each one complements the other. Um, one commentator says the two offices of overseers and servants are meant to complement one another. One is the office of pastoral oversight. The other is the office of practical service to the needy. 
And that is the difference between an overseer pastor and a servant deacon. Um, I love what this one preacher said. Sean Couch said, if a deacon is going to serve people when they're at their lowest, then he needs to be a man of highest character. I like that. Let me say that again. If a deacon is going to serve people when they're at their lowest, uh, you know, a point of need, a crisis or something like that, then he needs to be a man of highest character. In other words, the reason why you have the requirements for someone to meet in order to be a deacon is because they have a position of trust, okay? They have a position of trust. Um, so that's a look at the biggest clue from Scripture that we have about the role of a deacon. Now, I'm going to, when I get done tonight, I'm going to stop short of answering some of your questions. Hopefully, if I do this right tonight, when I get done, you may have more questions than I answered, and I'll be okay with that, okay? Uh, here's why. Because in the next couple weeks, we will finish out this series of what the Bible says about deacons. I'm going to look at the role of the deacon, the requirements of a deacon, which is those you know character qualities, and the responsibilities of a deacon, okay? So... Just keep that in mind. <clears throat> so we've looked at the biggest clue from Scripture, and that is that overseers and deacons appear together. You have to understand one to understand the other. The second uh, point tonight, and this is my last point, by the way, let's look at our biggest clue from early church history. And I'm still going to stick to Scripture on this one because we have the history of the early church the first church, the church in Jerusalem in the book of Acts, okay? So in Acts chapter 6 is where I'm going to be now for the remainder of the evening. And the concept of a deacon was unique to the early church. It did not have any precedent in Greek society, the Jewish synagogue, or the Old Testament. Something completely new, something completely different. Look, if you will, in Acts chapter 6. It's the first seven verses. The Bible says, In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select among from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. And they had them stand before the apostles, who prayed and laid hands on them, and then here's the outcome. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, if you're an observant person, you're probably thinking in the back of your mind right now, I thought you said that the word deacon is only in the Bible five times. I did. And I thought you said that was only in two places, Philippians 1 and 1 Timothy 3. That's right. Well, then why are you reading Acts chapter 6? Because I didn't see the word deacon anywhere. You're exactly right. But 
keep an open mind and keep listening, okay? Um, John Hammett, a Bible scholar, said this. He said, most people see Acts chapter 6 as describing the origin of deacons or at least the prototype of deacons. Though some object that Luke nowhere applies the term diakonos to the men chosen to coordinate this distribution of food to widows, there are several good reasons for the traditional view. And so, in other words, the traditional conservative view is that Acts chapter 6, this passage I just, just read to you, that that is the origin of the role of deacon, the office, if you will, of deacon. Now, this guy goes on to give you three good reasons why, and uh, I'll share those with you. Number one, his first reason, the related nouns diakonia and a form of the verb diakonio are found in Acts 6, verses 1 and 2. So you still have that diakon, what we would call deacon, transliterated in English. You still have the root word in the Greek language in this text. I'll point it out to you as we read again. So the disciples were increasing in number. There arose a complaint, okay, that the uh, widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution, okay, dis distribution there. And then the twelve summoned the whole company and said it would not be right to give up the preaching of God to wait on tables, the waiting on tables part. You might say, well, that's two different things right there. Well, it's the same root word. Second reason, he says, this is your origin of deacons. He says the qualifications and activities of the men selected here in Acts chapter 6 seem to go along with what Paul shared with Timothy in 1 Timothy 3. And I concur. Here you've got seven men that are going to be chosen. Don't, don't get hung up on the number. It's not about the number. I mean, seven's a great number, and we love it in the book of Revelation, but don't worry about the number in this case, okay? But there was a group of men that had to meet certain criteria. In this case, a good reputation, full of the Spirit, a Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom. And they were um, selected by the congregation, then they were appointed to this duty or this task, and then they were brought before the apostles. The apostles were still there at this point, brought before them, before the church, and they laid hands on them and prayed for them. Considering this past Sunday night, does that sound familiar? Yeah, all right. And then the third reason, and I think the first two reasons are very compelling, but the third reason is most compelling for me. The third reason that the traditional view believes that Acts chapter 6 is the biblical origin of the office of deacon is because the third reason is this. If Acts 6 is not linked to the origin of deacons, then we have an office in the church with no precedent in Jewish society, no origin in the Scripture, and yet it was an office that was widely accepted by New Testament churches. How do you explain that? When Paul wrote to the Philippians, that was the church in Philippi. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he was in Ephesus. So we know that the Philippian church had deacons. We know that the Ephesians church 
had deacons. We also know that the Ephesians church had elders, Acts chapter 20. So they had elders, plural, and deacons, plural. They had both. Again, the biggest clue in Scripture is you've got to understand both offices together. And the biggest clue in church history is Acts chapter 6. I'll give you a fourth reason to support the... uh, I'll give you a fourth reason to support the uh, traditional view, and that is this. You know who wrote the book of Acts? The human author was Dr. Luke, the physician. Um, Historians that have studied the the history of the Bible will tell you that Luke was an exceptional historian. When he wrote what he wrote, he told you just like it was as it actually happened, okay? And so when, when Luke wrote that in those days the number of disciples was increasing and all of a sudden there was this issue with the Hebraic-speaking uh, Jewish widows and then the Greek-speaking Jewish widows and uh, the, the, the 12, meaning the apostles, said, look, you know, we, we can't neglect prayer. We can't neglect teaching the Word, because that's what we were given to do. If we don't do that, who, who else is going to do that? That's what we're called to do. We, we would love to do that stuff too, but we, we physically, logistically cannot do this and that too. And so you choose seven men among you who meet this criteria, and we'll give them, we'll, we'll delegate this task to them. Okay, And so that's what they did. He doesn't, Luke, Luke wrote it as it happened. He didn't go, oh yeah, that's when the first deacon was elected in the early church. That would be like putting his current understanding on something that had happened years prior. He writes it as it happened, tells it just like it is, and let the chips fall where they may. So that's a fourth reason for me why I believe in this traditional view. So, Let me share one more quote with you. The the principles found in Acts 6 are valid for all churches. Like the church in Jerusalem and the churches at Philippi and Ephesus, every local church needs a pastoral oversight body to teach, protect, and lead. And every local church needs a servant body that will relieve the pastoral body and provide official Uh, responsible care for those that are suffering or in need. The Holy Spirit's instructions in 1 Timothy 3, which mandate that every properly ordered church have qualified overseer elders and deacons, confirms these principles. And so it's reasonable to assume that the early Christians, with the help of leaders like Paul, copied what the apostles did in Jerusalem with the seven and named these new officers, these servants, Dikoni, or deacons. So there you go. Now, again, I'm going to stop short tonight. I'm not done yet, but I'm going to stop short tonight. The answer, now that you've given me a few minutes and gave me a fair hearing, the answer to the question I've raised, what is the role of a deacon? In a word, it's a servant. That's what the word literally means. And when you look at the context of overseers and deacons, that's the nature of the role. 
I don't want to get into responsibilities tonight, but I will go there in a week or two, okay? Because I've just read to you, or, or now think about this for a minute. We've just looked at, and I've just read to you, everything in the Bible about deacons. That's it. There's a lot of topics in the Bible that have a whole lot more than that. Lord's Supper, baptism, spiritual gifts, um, even, even talking about maybe the foods that we eat and stuff like that. I mean, a whole lot more word count and, and words in print than what I just read about deacons. And so I say that to say this. I think we have to back up and look at what we've always seen, what we've always known, and say, is this biblical? What does the Bible teach about this? And, and, and I hope that doesn't make anybody uncomfortable because the Lord taught me a long time ago that I'm following Christ and He's conforming me to uh, His image. And just when I think I've got something figured out, He shows me something I haven't seen before. And usually I end up saying something like this. Well, when did he put that in the Bible? Like, I've just now noticed that for some reason. Like, it's always been there, but it's right there it is in the, in the Word of God. And so, uh, let me look at one more passage because I want to generalize now this idea of a servant. Uh, go to Mark chapter 10 for a moment. Mark chapter 10. And I'm reminded of uh, when the disciples began to argue over who was the greatest. Do you remember that? Uh, it's kind of funny now because we know the story, we know the background, and can we be honest, on this side of the cross, knowing about the death, burial, resurrection, and as I preach Sunday, ascension of Jesus Christ, do we even have to talk about who's the greatest? I mean, come on, it's Jesus, right? But that wasn't quite the slant to their question. They knew Jesus wasn't going to be around much longer, and they were establishing a pecking order. The disciples were among themselves. Hey, who's the greatest? And I'm sure that, you know, John and uh, John could say, well, you know, I'm cousins with him. Yeah. And then, you know, Peter could say, well, I'm the only one that got out of the boat and walked on water, you know. And then James could have said, hey, guys, I've, I've been with the two of you, and we have seen stuff that the other nine haven't. You know, I mean, oh, who knows how, where they went with all that, you know? Uh, who knows? Maybe Matthew, the tax collector, said, <laughs> you know, y'all are just fishermen, boys. You, you haven't been in the world like me. And, and he loved me enough to say, hey, Matthew, come follow me. Hey, I'm going to throw a party for you to invite all your friends. And I'm sure Matthew could say, Jesus loves me. He sought me out. He had to work harder to find me, boys. And he gave me a party. I mean, can't you just see it? Them going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so Jesus, in Mark chapter 10, verse 42, he calls them over. They're having this argument, who's the greatest? And he calls them over and he says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it's not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you 
will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When I back up and look at the big picture of elder overseers and deacons, keep in mind that all of us as Christians should aspire to live the same lifestyle they do. We're all called to follow Christ. We should all have a concern for others. We should all be willing to serve others in the name of Christ. At this point, I'm not talking about an office. I'm not talking about a responsibility. I'm not talking about a a title or a label. I'm talking about when you look at how we as God's people are to live our lives, we are to, you know, follow Christ. And as we follow Christ, we can turn and say, follow me as I follow Christ. I mean, if you really want to think about it, if we're going to be a disciple-making church where we we, we follow Jesus and we're being formed into the image of Jesus and then we're showing others how to follow Jesus, we've got to be that example. We've got to live out our faith. And so in that context, in that kind of atmosphere where we are the body of Christ, we, we are all fully dependent on the head who is Jesus and we're interdependent with one another. You need me and I need you. God uses me to minister to you. He uses you to minister to me. We're interdependent. The body can't say, the head, you know, the hand, the hand can't say the foot, I don't need you. That'd be ridiculous, right? I mean, we all need one another. And so we love one another and we serve one another and we don't have to worry about who's the greatest because we already know the answer to that question. He ascended. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. His name is Jesus, Okay. And as far as when it comes to serve, we should all serve. And yet, God calls certain people to do certain things. And you know what? We really do need to pray that God would call people. I know in our own state convention, the Kentucky Baptist Convention, for at least three or four years now, They've, uh, they've been having conversations whenever I'm around certain leaders about calling out the called. Calling out the called. What does that mean? Well, we need to call out the called. We need to pray that God's going to call out more laborers to gather the harvest. We need to pray that God will call more people to a, a lifetime of ministry, as in vocational ministry. Not that they're going to do it for a living, but they have a desire to say, God, I'm going to serve you. If you want me to be a pastor, if you want me to be a missionary, if you want me to plant a church, if you want me to do this, if you want me to do that, that they are sold to do that. We've really got a crisis in our convention right now because our baby boom pastors, a lot of them that have retired and maybe haven't retired, are, are hanging in there because churches need them. My generation is a smaller generation. And then the generation below me, the millennials, they're very entrepreneurial. Many of them would rather go do their own thing than work in the context of an established church. We really need God to raise up more leaders, okay? We do. 
And so, at any rate, I think we need to pray for God to call out the call. I think we need to pray, God, make me a servant. Even, even if you're not a deacon, even if you're not a leader, you still can serve, okay? You can still serve right where you are. Be Christ to someone around you. And so with that said, I'm going to close out tonight with this appeal. I want to give you a challenge. Are you serving the Lord and serving others? Okay? Um, I want you to think about that question for a minute. Now, if you're already doing something, then praise the Lord, I'm glad you're serving. And if you're not doing something, you're not the one I have in mind. This is not one of those messages where, hey, Gordon, in August we're going to have the nominating ministry placement. You know, this is not that, okay? I say that because some of you that have been Baptist churches all your life, you're going, I smell it. Here it comes. Here comes the pitch. I know. I've been in that pew. I know, okay? <laughs> so that's not, that's not the point tonight. The point is, ask yourself, take stock. What are you doing with your life? Are you deliberately, intentionally serving God and serving others? Uh, there are so many ministry opportunities. Uh, there are so many ministry opportunities around us. There are needs in our congregation. There are needs in the community. Um, it doesn't matter in my mind what you do as long as you feel led by God to do it. If you feel led by God to do it, I believe that He will give you the gift or the means to do it. He'll give you the opportunity to do it, and then when you do it, others are going to see God working in and through you, and that's what you want. That's what you want. So I encourage you tonight to accept the challenge of serving the Lord and serving others. All right, well, let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would uh, help us dig tonight. Lord, I know we're looking at a topic that uh, we may be familiar with, but Lord, let's come to the scripture with fresh eyes, with open minds and hearts. And Lord, I pray that you'd teach us, that you'd show us. Help us to understand why we do what we do and why it's biblical or not biblical. And Lord, help us to be a people of the book. Lord, help us to love you, to love others, and to serve others in the name of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.